call is now being recorded. Hi, welcome to V2V Podcast. I am Short, or Alexi. Um, today, we're this is part of the Survivor Series. Um, today, we're talking to Survivor Catherine, who went to Monarch Academy. Um, hi, Catherine. Hey, how are you today? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? Um, not happy that it's almost Monday, but other than that, really good. Good, good. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so, first of all, I'd like to sort of ask you to define what TTI is to someone who wouldn't know the troubled teen industry and sort of give me a rough idea of what your view is of what this is. Personally, I would define the industry as, I mean, the the industry contains individually owned programs that kind of run off of deceit and, you know, deceiving the parents, um, withholding information, and really, really just kind of taking custody away from them um, of their children. So, you know, what separates places like, you know, I went to the Monarch School in Montana, um, and what separates a place like that from, you know, your local inpatient um, in the city is you you lose custody. You lose rights to yourself. You don't have basic rights. You are essentially, I mean, you are a captive. You don't have a way out. You don't have control over your treatment or yourself. Um, you don't know everything that's going on. And it's not really optional. You're kind of there. You're there. And parents are manipulated. Um, and it's, all just, it, it's based off of kind of taking advantage of parents and telling them, if you don't do this right now or within the next 24 hours, serious things are going to happen to your family. Um, right. And it's just taking advantage of parents who don't know any better and trying to give them a really poor outlook for their child. So that way, when their child meets kind of basic expectations, it can be seen as a miracle, and they're so amazing. Um Right. I'm, I'm not a fan. Uh, I was at the Monarch School for 13 and a half months following a wilderness in Oregon. And, you know, at the start, I didn't really understand what was happening, and I was really upset. And then as time went on, and I kind of figured out, you know, wow, this is not okay. Uh, when I, I have a, a fall birthday, and I signed myself in when I turned 18, and I was reading this stuff. And I was just shocked that I was literally giving up rights to myself. I was I signed a, a section where I gave up rights to appropriate medical care if they didn't feel it was necessary. Um, right. I, I disagree with the programs. I think they're unethical. I think uh, they're they're illegal. Mine was you know quote unquote a behavior modification therapeutic boarding school. It, it wasn't. I mean. Right. If, if the people are saying that, I mean, we're literally captives, then that raises some flags as to kind of what's going on and everything. Right. So tell me a little bit about the first program you were in, the wilderness one, and why you were sent there and who sent you there and how that all happened, if you would. I mean, you don't have to, like, you don't have to frame yourself as a troubled teen at all because I don't believe in that word. But, you know, whatever um, whatever you want to frame it as. Yeah. So I um, was 16 when we were looking at getting some more help. Um, you know, I will admit I did have some day-to-day challenges. I struggled with depression and anxiety uh, in a condition called trichotillomania and PTSD at that time. Um, and I was at the point where... I mean, I literally looked my therapist in the eye, and I told her, I want to die. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I did have some problems, and I know I did need a little bit more help. So I go on, you know, good old Google, and I do my research, and I present um, what I wanted to do to my parents. I lived with my mom, and it was this 30-day thing in North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. And I told her, you know, this okay. is what I want to do. I think this is going to be helpful, and why? Well, she gets uh, referred to an ed consultant who tells her, 
that I need to go to Evoke, Oregon. It um, was second nature, but became Evoke while I was there. So, would you mind? Would you mind giving the name of that ed consultant? Oh my goodness. Um, I think it was Beth something. I don't know. I can find out, but I don't know. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Keep going. Sorry. So she told my, my parents, they are very, very divorced, but they decided to you know, band together for me on this one. Okay. So they make the decision to send me there. So I was sent away on January 2nd of 2016. Um, and my dad flew me out to Oregon. So I did Evoke Oregon um, up in the high desert by, like, Redmond and Bend. Uh, and I was out there for 69 days. Um, and, and, you know, while I admit I did need extra help because I really was struggling every day, you know, I, I really did have a lot of problems just doing basic things. Um, yeah. I did not need that. <laughs> That was extreme, and I actually have all of my letters from when I was out there. Um, I, I have all of them that I wrote and that I received, and I was a completely different person. Like, I used program talk all the time, and I just, I wasn't me. But um, yeah. While we were out there, it was it was January in the high desert in the TNW, and let me tell you, it was like negative ten the night that I was brought out there. Ugh. And the southerner, I had never seen eight feet of snow, and it was it was awful. I mean, that first night, I just cried and I was screaming, and I just couldn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Uh, we had a therapist come out once a week. Um, her name was Sabrina Dexter. No, I'm sorry. Her dog's name was Dexter. Okay. Her name was Sabrina. I forget her okay. last name. But she owns, like, a private practice out in Oregon, like, in Bend or Redmond. Um, but she would come mm. out once a week. And it was just, it was, it was kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, there was so much focus on how everything that's happened before is making you act this way now and it's all your fault and, you know, you're choosing to act like this and you need to stop. Bad things are going to happen if you don't believe in this. Um, right. I have mania and it's a hair pulling disorder. Um, a lot of lay people who don't really have experience in psychology think it is a form of self-harm or addiction and it's not. It just right. is a thing that we don't really understand. Uh, but I was told that if I did not do the 12-step program, I would die. Right. So that, I mean, it's just stuff like that all the time. So can I, I ask Can I ask you to tell me, like, what an average day would be like on at, at this wilderness play? Like, so, what... We didn't. We weren't allowed to know the time or the date because okay. we were supposed to focus on the here and now, and that was really wacky, like not knowing. Um, so we would wake up whenever they told us to get up. Um, okay. And at that point, they would either tell us you need to pack up your shelter and your pack because we're going to be hiking to a new site today, or they would tell us just to go to the campfire for breakfast. Um, okay. So if we, so like, let's say we're staying there. So we go to the campfire, and we would actually have to bust our own fire, which I have done. I did it five times, and it's really freaking hard. But yeah. we would do that if we weren't able to light one, then we just didn't get one. And it's really cold out there. So there were some, there were some rough days without that fire. Um, so we had our bear bags in the tree, and we would go get it. Um and we'd come back and, you know, eat whatever. we do meds, all this stuff. Um, and then we, after that, we might have mandatory fun time or we'd have our therapist there that day or we would do activities. Like I remember probably in, like, week three, I made my busting kit. So our morning activity was going to find the perfect branch 
right. edgy fun. But, um, you know, then we, we, we do that, whatever. And then lunch, you know, go through the whole cycle again. And then evening, we would always have letter time. We called it um personal – I can't remember. It was personal time, but I don't remember what we called it. But we'd basically go sit alone somewhere, but still within eyeshot. And we would just write – you know, letters of accountability or letters to our parents or, you know, work on whatever we had to do. I love my wilderness journals, too. Those are at home, though. Um, so we just do stuff like that. And then dinner, you know, go through all this stuff again. And then we, you know, clean all of our pots and everything. Um, and then off, we would do – we have time to, like, be at the campfire. And then we just go back to our shelters. We couldn't talk unless the staff was listening. Um, we weren't okay. allowed to alone with any other, like, camper, I guess. Um, otherwise, we would have, like, we'd get warnings. Um, and if you got enough of them, then you'd be put on, like, silence for however long they deemed fit. Um, so if you got too many earshot warnings, which was, like, two, then... Merry Christmas. You don't get to talk until they tell you you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then our day, they also took our boots at night so we wouldn't run away. Okay. Um, our had to be, like, 20 feet apart at least. Um, we didn't have flashlights or headlamps. If you got to a certain stage, you could earn one, but no, no one got to that stage. Like, no one. Um, right. We'd have to do all this stuff in the dark, like set up shelters in the dark, and it was just a tarp and some string, and you had to use rocks and trees, um, and then you yeah. had like your sleep bag and the pad and everything. So if we were camping, I'm sorry, if we were moving campsites, they'd wake us up early, and that's how we knew, and we had to pack everything up in under 20 minutes, otherwise you got a consequence. Yeah. I don't remember what were. I think it was silence. Or like other, or like having to do with the staff, like arms reach or something like that. I don't really remember. Um, but so yeah, you had to. We had to pack everything up and then bring our packs. So bring us our shoes in the morning and then take them when we were in our shelter in the evening. And then like breakfast, all this stuff, and we pack up. Have to like deconstruct the fire pit so there was no trace that we were there and all this ridiculous stuff. Um, and then we'd hike for. An amount of time we didn't know to somewhere we didn't know for a distance that we never knew to somewhere right. else, and then we put all again. Did um, you have to chug? Did you have to chug water before these hikes as well? We we had to carry um, these blueies, which are those like military water containers. Okay. I had just heard yeah. from another survivor of wilderness that. She had to like chug a certain amount of water before the hike based on weight. Like that was mandatory for like them not being dehydrated or something on a hike. Because they didn't oh, want they anyone. Would. Yeah. They would force us to drink water though if they weren't happy. Right. Oh, and if, and if you had to go use the restroom, you had to call your name or count or make noise every three seconds. <sighs> so like, I, so I left on March 11th, I think, and literally I called my name in the restroom at an airport. Yeah. It was weird. I was a little embarrassed by that. Um, and I'm trying to think. So, oh, if you were put on self-harm watch or if you tried to run away, then you were within one foot of a staff at all times. Uh in the staff pet and they burrito you in this big tarp so you couldn't escape. It was awful. So that was that. Jesus. Like, okay, so there. then so then you get out of there and you go home, I assume? No. No. So I get out of there. My dad and I spend one night in Spokane, Washington, and then okay. Drive through Washington and northern Idaho to Heron, Montana, which is where my school was. I remember yeah. two before I left, I got a letter. No, no. They had these, like, 2000 flip phones that they had for 
I don't know why, but I had a phone call with my mom, and she told me I was going to school in Montana. And I literally, my first reaction was, where the bleep is Montana? So I found out that against my will, I was going to get to go live in Montana. Because Uh. I, I, so many times, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go home. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want. Like, this is what I need. Like, I don't need to go there. But because I'm, you know, mentally unstable, I don't know what I need, right? Why would I? So basically, so, so basically you... This is so dope. So basically you were, you were, you were someone with a few problems that probably needed some help. And you went into this wilderness program thinking this this would help you. But instead, really, it was kind of just a supermarket for this next place. Oh, yeah. So my program before, so like, when my parents were looking at sending me there, they required that any that everybody who goes there had to go to wilderness. Towards the end of my stay, they changed it. Um, but like at the beginning, I mean, they wouldn't accept you if you didn't go to wilderness. Right. Uh, so. Right. You, I mean. Interesting. I, I, was, I, I was sent there so I could have the emotional intelligence and the experience and understanding to be able to really embrace my next step. Right. Got to get that, but you know that that was their goal. Okay, so you get to this, you get to this place in Montana, and it's probably in the middle of nowhere, right? Nowhere, nowhere. It was dirt road. So we drove from Spokane to Sandpoint, Idaho, and then up yeah. to Clark Fork, which is like the border town between like Idaho and like that part of Montana. So we drove to yeah. Clark Fork, and then it's Montana. Dirt roads. I have no idea what's going on. Like, there are no houses anywhere. It's just these dirt roads. And then right. there's Monarch. And it's there. And I, I'm at this point, like, I've already been crying for an hour. And I'm <sighs> like, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do this. I am not getting out of this car. <sighs> so, you know, I, he pulled in. And Michelle McKenna, I don't like this lady. But Michelle McKenna comes up. And she's just like, oh, my goodness. I'm so happy that you're here. She was Patrick McKenna's wife. They're the owners of school. Um, and I, I'm sitting in the car, and I'm like, I'm not going to get out. Not today. Long story short, I get out. Um, and I do my right. intake and everything, and I get all my clothes, and they go through my stuff and all and everything. And then um, I get sent to the lodge. So it's this big, the lodge is this big building. It had a front part that was locked off from the back. And the front had, like, the offices and the clothing and, like, admin and everything. And then there was the door that was locked, so we couldn't escape. So there was, like, the med room, which was always locked. And then the lodge had, like, the computer room, Jamie Jones's office, the staff office, the staff mudroom, the kitchen, dining hall, and then just, like, our general area. Yeah. And I was crying. I, I mean, I was absolutely distraught when I walked into there. I have no idea what's going on. Like, I don't know what this place is. And I'm just brought in there, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like, are you okay? And at this point, I'm just like, who am I surrounded by? Because I had a slight idea of what this place was like. And I didn't, you know, have the the nicest connotations of the type of Mm. people that would be in there. So I'm on one hand going, oh, my God, am I one of these people? And then going, I'm surrounded by these people. Um, I don't really remember very much of that day other than that. I was very upset for a very long time. Were you searched? Oh, yeah. Every okay. single thing that I brought with me was gone through. I was strip searched. Um, every time we came back on campus from, like, a home visit um, or, like, a three-day weekend or something, we were strip searched. Mm. Um, I had And was the person... Was the person strip searching you licensed? The strip search you. Was the person who strip searched you a, a, a low level staff or a or a licensed therapeutic person who who would, would oh, they were, be they allowed were like to do therapeutic people who did that right. to us. It was literally right. our night staff half the time, and they were the skeptiest people I have ever seen. 
So they right. would do that. Um, right. Like our therapist stayed very well away from us unless they had to be in there with us. Um, right. Oh, yeah. No, it was – no one was ever certified. No one ever. I mean, some people yeah. were like, I'll give them that. But, I mean, no one was. No one cared. Yeah. So. Sorry. Anyway, so you 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 get in there, and is there a level system in this program? Yes. This is my favorite part, not really. We have <laughs> six levels, zero, step O through step five. You started on step O, which is step orientation. It was ridiculous. Basically, like, you had to fill out all these forms and, like, meet your action plan and get approval from people to move up to the next step. And then you right. make a new like step group and all these new privileges every time you moved up. And then when you got on step five, you were eligible for graduation. But steps could be taken away from you. Okay. So basically it's a brainwashing level system pro program programming operation. Pretty much. And yeah. Are are you are you in school? Can you give me a general idea of a day there, an average day there? I mean, depending uh, on your so, level, of course. So I'm going to outline what it was like for like 93% of my stay. Like the last okay. six weeks, they changed it, and I really don't remember it that well. Um, so you're so we went to school Monday to. Monday, Tuesday, and no, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then we okay. had crews in the morning on Tuesday and group therapy Tuesday afternoon. And then we had crews all day on Friday, but we'd sometimes have group on Friday afternoon depending on who messed up that week. Okay. So your step didn't indicate really that much so like day to day didn't really change based on your step um like your step determined uh which level group you went to on tuesday afternoon okay but, i mean step o still went to school step five still did but right. if you messed up really badly and were put in isolation then you didn't get to go okay so, so like we had like we were on a farm so we had so we used our land for our firewood and then we also had horses, chickens, geese at the very end, cows and goats. Um so morning and afternoon crews which were like firewood, feeding the animals, um, they were split between genders. So like the first week the boys would have morning crews and then the next week the girls would. So right. you either got up and did cruise and then went to the lodge, or you just got up and went to the lodge. Um, and then there were breakfast and announcements, and you had to be perfectly dressed on time with your room literally perfect, otherwise you got consequence. Okay. Um, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it was Sounds so good. It. The highlight, so, though, of my yeah. day. Yeah. Was when um I forget the name of that Fetty Wap song, but it's like seventeen thirty eight. So we had dinner at five thirty every night. And yeah. There are a couple of the guys. This is the highlight of my day every time. They would offer to read the lines to tell people what's for dinner, and they'd go, "Oh, look at that! It's seventeen thirty eight. That was the best part of my day. <laughs> that was actually pretty funny for a while. But yeah, funny. the consequences were everywhere. If your shoes weren't lined up, if you were wearing your indoor shoes outdoors or vice versa, if your shirt wasn't tucked in, if your belt wasn't done, if your buttons weren't done correctly, if your cubby was messy, if your backpack was out of place, if you weren't sitting right, if you didn't fold your pants the right way, if your shampoo wasn't organized the right way, then there are consequences. And what did consequences lead to? So you either – so if you messed up big time, you had to do – Something outside, so shovel gravel to fill the third of a mile long dirt road, fill those potholes. Tree stumps were were the worst thing. 
So it's Montana, and in the winter, it's, you know, very cold with a lot of snow. And you have yeah. to dig out a 2,000-pound or who knows what tree stump out of the ground in isolation by yourself. And if you didn't finish it the first day and it happened to snow overnight, Merry Christmas. You get to basically restart the next day. So that was called a work assignment. And work okay. assignments are when you messed up, like, somewhat badly. So, like, I have issues, like, with keeping my numbers straight when I'm writing them down sometimes. Um, and I yeah. accidentally mixed up two numbers when I was writing a page number for a homework assignment for my science class. Um, and I got a work assignment because I was cheating. That, that's what they thought. They threatened to make me fail the class because I accidentally mixed up two numbers. Um, so I had to, in isolation, shovel gravel on that third of a mile long dirt road and fill the potholes all day. But the kicker is, if I hadn't finished it that day, I would have had to have continued with it the following Sunday. So there were some kids who didn't finish it the first day, and they had that same work assignment for, like, five weeks. If it storms, well, there goes all of your work, and there are more potholes now. So those were work assignments, either, you know, redoing the wooden fences or the path logs or chopping firewood or deep cleaning the kitchen or, like, who knows what, shoveling. Right. Those are work assignments. And so – would be things like no dessert, um, no phone call to your parents, um, no free time, um, extra academic time. You have to do extra kitchen cleanup. Like, those are, like, the low-level ones. And right. then if you lost your things, we had this box by the mudroom door, um, and during Saturday cleanup, if you got too many things – then you had to do kitchen cleanup. It was ridiculous. So those are the key ones that you wanted to get. So who would would you, would you be fed during your work? Would you would you have water? Would you have breaks? Would you be able to sit down? Like um, you had water. Okay. Um, so my my I only had one work assignment because I worked really hard to make sure I didn't have to do more. So I had my one work assignment, and I had a water bottle. And there was a staff out there just to, you know, make sure, like, we didn't run away. Right. Um, so I had a break for lunch and then dinner, and that was it. Yeah. This is not that's therapeutic. It. This is not therapeutic. This is slavery. I, you know, I was incredibly zen and, you know, really connected to the outdoors. No, I'm kidding. It was it was pointless. But the only good part is I got to walk past the horses like 95 times that day. Wow. Yeah. So that was – oh, if it's raining, too bad. Oh, God. Slicker, too bad. You don't get to borrow someone. You don't have rain boots, you get more consequences, but you still have to do your work assignment. And oh. five degrees and snowing, guess what you're doing today? Shoveling snow. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Poor kids. And is this place still running? No, it was shut down almost a year ago. They claim, okay. they like to claim that it was because they went bankrupt, but I strongly disagree with that statement. Um, the property's up for sale, but apparently Michelle's mom bought the property. Um, you can find it on Zillow. It's like $2 million maybe. I don't really know. So if anyone wants to buy it, please feel free. Um, but, yeah, like all that stuff is for sale now, I think. It was like two months ago. And are any of the staff members of other places, or have they formed other places? They haven't. From what I know, I keep, like, decent tabs on these people. Like, I don't really go overboard, but, like, I know where they are. Um, Some of them have gone to other programs. Yeah. And then Patrick and Michelle uh, changed their names and phone numbers again and left the country. 
Um, Patrick previously owned a facility that got shut down before he opened Monarch. So that's a fun what, side story. What was that called? Oh, my goodness. I It's in the – I don't know if you have access to the Monarch survivor thread, but it's somewhere in there. Um, I don't, but I'll find out. We'll figure it out. We'll put it in. It's somewhere there. There's this yeah. guy. Oh, my goodness. I cannot remember. I can tell you his name later, but I think he knows. Um, but Patrick went to one as a kid in, like, the 80s, opened his own. It got shut down, and then opened another one, because why not? Oh, God. Okay. But a lot of the staff just went to other programs. Right. Right. So, but victory. So the kids who were there when Monarch was shut down, they actually won a damages lawsuit, and all of them got money. Good. So they're going after. I think maybe a very loose collective. We are going after the criminal case next. I don't really know. I'm kind of doing other things at college, so I've been a little busy. But I know sure. to think. So that's one of my friends the other week brought up. How long have you been out? I graduated, which was stupid and ridiculous, um, on April 29th of 2017. Okay. Wow. Recent. Yep. Well, it's amazing that, it's amazing that you're awake. I couldn't talk about this, you know, this soon out. You know, it took uh, me forever to figure it out. I only you know, talk about it in, like, three scenarios. Angry PTSD outburst, where I have some <laughs> breakdown. Um, sure. To other survivors, and occasionally to my therapist. That's a rare occasion. Most of them don't believe me and think I make this stuff up. Um, okay. So, it's usually just, you know, angry PTSD outburst, where I'm yelling at people. Uh, one happened in the middle of Walmart when I got home. So, like, after I graduated, my dad and I went to Los Angeles. No, we went to San Francisco for a couple of days, and then I got home, and I had several screaming fits in the airport. And then I also had fits of just not being able to handle being out in public and having choice and not being there. Um, sure. I had, a, I had those fits for a while. And then, and then I kind of calmed down. Um, and forgot about it for a while. Mm. And then when it shut down, I about lost it then, too. That was a challenge. Um, so, for example, I'm trying to maybe transfer colleges, and I can't fill out the application because my high school doesn't exist. Right. So I'm not able to fill out part of my application. So we're trying to work on that. But um, I, had, I still occasionally have those, just I can't do this. And, like, the scariest part um, is sometimes I will get so upset that I actually think that I want to go back. Like, sometimes, it's like, I know it's wrong, but sometimes I genuinely do just want to go back. Like, I want to be there, and it's that safety of knowing what's happening and knowing that. There's nothing unpredictable from the outside um, and things like that. Sure. Um, so sometimes that can be a little bit of a, a train wreck to deal with. I mean, it's a, it's a simulated reality that isn't reality, and then you're expected to come out of that um, and be able to function. And it's, this, this world is very difficult. And we have you know. this transition program. For those of us who are on track to graduate, we have three graduations a year, December, December, April, and August. Um, I was April. Um, and we had these transition trips, except they were highly supervised. And one of them was, we're going to a restaurant. And I'm like, how is this supposed to help me as an adult? Or, we're going to the airport. Okay. Right. So, um, I mean, they didn't help me at all. They actually made yeah. it worse because they purposely deprived us of the skills to be able to function as adults in the real world. Like, mm. I left April, got home the first week of May, and I started my freshman year of college that August. 
and I had right. zero functioning skills. Like, right. I couldn't do it. It's awful. I almost failed my first semester because I had no idea how to do any of this. Like, yeah. I mean, I just But, yeah, that was, you know, that. Wow. Um, so I want to I wanna ask you what you think a better solution would be for, for you. I think, you know, as a very large, wide, I know for me, a lot of these, a lot of my, you know, problems, progressed to the point that they did because there wasn't any parental involvement and there weren't people who believed me. Right. So I think that if there are parents or guardians, you know, whatnot, they find themselves in a position of going, my child is a danger to themselves because of depression or something, or, you know, they're uncontrollable, don't, don't send them away. That's not the correct answer. You know, I think it's important to make sure your child knows that they have resources and adults and professionals who believe them. Like, I had people tell me that I was lying, and the fact that I had basic day-to-day functioning meant that I'm not depressed. Right. You don't have anxiety. You go to public school. Okay, you're right, but I don't function in public school. I sit in my classes, and I kind of fail them. Yeah. You know? So it's possible to go from your home to your workplace or to your school but not actually really function or succeed. So I think making sure that your child or, you know what, not knows that there are people who believe them, that they are telling the truth, that there is a way to help them out of this. And you, Absolutely. you, can't force, you cannot force health and getting better, you know, quote-unquote getting better on people. If they don't want to get better, it's not going to happen no matter how much you force on them. You know, like when I was in wilderness, I was not going to do this. I didn't want to. And you you can't force that on anybody. You can't force change and growth like that on someone. If they don't want to, they won't. And, you know, I think having multiple professionals that the child has indicated that they like, I think that's really important. Because you put me with something that I don't like, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to, you know, talk about the worst things that have happened to me if I don't like this person. So, you know, making sure as a variety of professionals that believe them, a variety of professionals that are not affiliated with ed consultants or other programs, that is important. And also kind of letting your child express what they think that they want or what they think that they need. You know, granted, depending on the place that they're in, they could be wrong. It's always possible for someone to be wrong about what they think is the right thing to do. However, don't make that decision for them. You know, if yeah, I'm I telling think... you this is what I think I want or this is what I need or this is what will help me right now, provide them with that. Don't make this decision for them because you don't know the whole story. That's why you're in this position. It's because they don't talk to you and you don't really know anything that's going on. I agree so much. I mean, I think that, you know, with myself, it was sort of the repeated behavior clearly means something. And, you know, that should be examined instead of punished or silenced or, you know, treated. You know, there was clearly something going on, you know, and and if, 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 if sending me away to torture me was the answer, then I think that there's something clearly wrong, you know, and I feel the same about you. You know, I I just don't, I don't understand how anyone could think that this is possibly therapeutic or, or beneficial for a child, you know? Oh, okay. So my, my mom, she, I confronted her about this. Um, and her reasoning is, I didn't know what else to do. Your dad left me. I was all alone. You were out of control. I wanted the best for you. I had no idea. I just wanted to save you. I didn't know what to do. I thought this was the thing. And, you know, I thought, I got mad, and, and then I talked with her, and I said, 
I am angry at you because over 16 months, I told you every week, I am unhappy. This is not helping. I want to go home. I need you to help me. This is not okay. This is what's going on. Apparently, it didn't raise flags that my letters were blacked out, that parts of them were missing, that everything was edited. Like, none of this raised flags. And I pointed this all out to her, and she goes, well, I didn't know what else to do. I was just trying to save you. And I said, I asked you, so I asked you hundreds of times to please take me home, to please take me out of this. And my program, I mean, they straight up lied to parents about what was going on. And they straight up told parents, do not believe your child. They are going to manipulate you into going home. Do not believe what they say. Like, they straight up told my mom and dad that. So, you know, after, I think I had, like, a month before I was allowed to make a phone call home. I mean, she's sitting there, and she's hearing all of these things, while also having been told for a while, your child's trying to manipulate you into going home. Don't believe them. This is what's actually going on. Um, I'm currently a sophomore at a college in South Carolina, and I'm working on a degree in social work. And when I work with parents, I work with children's facilities, and when I work with their parents, I tell them all behavior is meaningful. There is a reason that your child is doing this. You may not like the reason. You may not be able to understand what it is, but there's a reason. It's and so true. Just go, like, I don't know what they're doing. So, you know, um, I had one, there's one child who was constantly um, displaying self-injurious behavior, such as headbanging. And the parents, like, I'm doing all of these, you know, classic consequence, you know, trying to change the stuff. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. I can't get him to stop. I punish him, and, he, and it doesn't work. And I told her, there is meaning behind this behavior. And, you know, lo and behold, she goes to the doctor, she has a middle ear infection, which is why she was doing that, which is why punishing him in timeouts and all the stuff didn't work. So right. parents think they can just look at whatever's going on and send them off to have it fixed. You know, you, you can't fix the end behavior if no one has any idea what's causing it. I'm just, I'm fully against corporal punishments in general. I think it's generally just the most wrong idea possible for any, any authoritarian. I think, I, I think there is no means to it and, and no sort of justification. Um, you're not I going agree. to get a result. You're not going to get a result. It, it's, it's retarded. Um, I still don't understand why I had to shovel gravel for an entire day. Like, I right. Don't I, I, I don't understand the logic in this. I don't understand any of that. I, You know, I don't understand, you know, probably before you went to the program, I don't understand your parents grounding you. You know, I don't understand this. You know, there's a lot of things that lead to this. And a lot of it is just misunderstanding and, and, and lack of education and lack of willingness to, to sort of understand, you know, and, and have humbleness as, as a parent. And understand that your child is sort of, you know, your your child knows a lot about themselves, probably more than you know, and you should listen, you know, instead of punish. And the biggest effect, I think, that going to, to wilderness and monarchs has had on me is that I no longer trust professionals. I, I don't trust them. I don't trust my doctor. I don't trust my dentist. Because I still see them as bad people who want to take advantage of me. I don't trust therapists. Um, and so I'm an NCAA student athlete. And this year, they required mental health screening to see who needed therapy. Uh, and as I was being given this questionnaire, I'm sitting there and I go, I know what the right answer is. And I know what my answer is. Because I know yeah. if I tell the truth about what's going on on this form, I'm probably... I'm either going to be kicked off or I'm going to have to be redshirted because they don't want me doing this this year. So, you know, I go and I get the correct answer. So it, it's, there's a huge barrier in me getting proper help because I left that place with more problems than I had before. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it just now I need a therapist 
because I have, you know, very little ability to relate to people or handle noise or handle social settings or my classroom. But I, I don't trust them because I know what I know what can happen to me if I tell the truth. Like I know how fast it is to get me shipped off. I know there are people who can literally come kidnap me in the middle of the night. I know that the that my psychiatrist has the ability to mark me as whatever, and there we go. Stuff happens. So, you know, very very little good does come out of those places. Um, I will admit I have a very high distress tolerance level now. Like, I am very good at handling that when sure. I came out of that place because every day was hell. But, um, not, I mean, very few lasting positive things are going – to have come out of that place. Yes. Wow. I, I, I fully agree with you. Um, I really want to thank you for co- coming on and sharing your story, and I think it's incredible that you're able to talk about it so early out. out. And also, you know, I, I, I don't personally know what it's like to have the place that I went to shut down, and I think that that's, you know, that must be incredibly cathartic and at least something you can point to as, okay, well, this, I mean, even, even if they said it, well, I guess they blamed it on bankruptcy, but, you know, I mean, clearly you can, like, at least feel some closure about that. It's not still going can I, on. Can I touch on that? Yeah. Um, you know, in a sense, it was, see, right now I can catch myself using program talk and using, like, However, instead of but and stuff like that, which I think is hilarious. Um, yeah. But, 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 um, <laughs> you know, the hardest part about that place being shut down was that I felt like I lost an integral part of my identity. Like, I sure. didn't have a choice. Like, oh, they oh, made you become a completely different person when you were there. Like, I don't even know who I used to be before. You know, I don't remember anything about who I was January 2nd of 2016 before. Yeah. Like, I don't even, I don't have any idea about who I am now because the person that they made me become as I became an adult is someone I don't like because it's not a good person. Like, it's not a real person. But um, that that was really challenging. I also don't have any records from when I was there. They didn't release them to me. Right. So I, I mean, I literally have a year and a half gap in all of my paperwork and medical stuff. Um, but the hardest right. part was realizing that I can't show people that this existed anymore. Like I can't show people like what it was like what was happening, like what the schedules were. Um, yeah. That that yeah. kind of created a sense of panic, like. Maybe I am actually making all this stuff. You know, maybe, like, people aren't actually going to believe me anymore because it doesn't exist when you Google it. Um, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way. I never thought of, like, like how how the effect of it closing would be because it, it's so much worse almost. It's so much worse because I can still point at my place. I can still point at my place, and I can still tell you that there are kids getting out who don't like what happened. You know, they may not understand that that it's that it's the way it was, and they may not like. They may still be pro-programmed, but they they didn't like being there, you know. And at least I can like point to that. You can't do that anymore, you know. I. I yeah, have um I have a photo album full of all of those, you know, like those Kodak like portable travel cameras, disposable cameras. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like I have probably a hundred of those. Um, and that's it. I have, I have a collection of really random things that I keep in a box. Um, you know, I threw out a lot of that paper, like the assignment and step applications and stuff because I couldn't handle it when I left. Um, yeah. I've kind of settled. I've gone past the deal of throwing that out because it was true. And now I've settled on. For some reason, I have what I have because some part of me will think this is important and values it. So I have a random collection of stuff. I have photo albums. I have a little bit of paperwork. I have my wilderness journals, my wilderness letters, um, just stuff like that. But 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I also, I also like, I, I never thought about like how we identify to our program. Well, because a huge part of me is heritage, you know, and a huge part of you is, is, is monarch now, you know, and, and that's gone. And so like, that must be like, anyway, I, I'm going to end this here because, um, uh, I, I'm doing the best I can as a survivor to, to interview survivors. Um, and it's not easy for me, but I'm going to end this here. And, um, I really want to thank you, Catherine, for coming on. Um, you're incredibly brave for speaking out and please keep, keep going, um, and doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I try to, I try to share what happened because I know for other people it can be really hard and I want to make sure that the, the stories are out there because everybody's story is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I encourage anyone who does need a hand after listening to this or anything in general, if you need a hand, there are always people that want to hear your story. Where would people where would they find you? Where would they find people that want to hear your story? Um, if you would like to contact me, any of the listeners, um, please feel free. You can find me on Facebook. Um, cricket, like the insect, it's a, it's a nickname. And then my last name is Burkhart, B-U-R-K-A-R-T. Feel free to contact me, reach out, send me a message. I am a collegiate athlete in college, so it might take me a little bit of time to get back to you, but I want to hear your story. You are safe to talk to me, and I want to hear everything that you have to say, even if it doesn't make sense to you. I want to hear it. You can reach out to the Facebook group, um, any, anyone. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of us out here. We all want to hear your story. We, we are all willing to listen, you know. And I, and we'll, I know Monarch School has a Facebook, like, survivor page subgroup. I don't know yeah. any other programs. I don't know if you can speak to that. but I know Yeah, I, I can. There is a WASP survivors group, yeah, and there's Reddit Trouble Teams. is a great sub, yeah. you know, hub. And, okay. you know, there's... There, so anyway, I, I yeah. If you want to report information about your school or what happened or staff, there is a website. Oh my goodness, um, I cannot for the last year remember this. It's um, the Peel, H-E-A-L. It's online, and I actually um, sent in information about staff and experience story. Um, and it gets put on their website, uh, and they're an advocate group that tries to prevent people from being put into programs and tries to help people um, get out of them. Yes. So you can always submit information about them, and it will get published on their website um, anonymously. Yeah, that's heal.org. We'll include that, too, in in the link. I'll make sure that Marcus does that. um, and, and and if you enjoyed listening to this, please like and su- subscribe. And thank you very much for listening. This has been uh, another Survivor Podcast on BTV Podcast. Thank you. Bye.